story is told of a Roman emperor who returned to Rome in military triumph. He was marching his troops through the streets with many prisoners of war. The streets were packed, lined on both sides with men, women, and children who were cheering. In addition, there were legionnaires that were stationed in order to keep the exceedingly rejoicing crowd at bay. But at one spot along the route, there was a platform where the empress and her family sat, watching the emperor with his generals, soldiers, and prisoners all marching by all the acclaim. But unknown to the legionnaires, initially, a young boy jumped off the platform and started to sprint toward the emperor. When the legionnaire saw the young boy, he began to draw their swords. Please turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. title of the message is a question. Is your theology of prayer biblical? Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Last week we studied how Jesus taught His disciples how to pray. And while this is not a mantra, in many ways the Lord's Prayer is a model, isn't it? It is principled. And one point of reminder concerning this forgiveness is that this prayer here, in light of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it assumes the regular need, listen, to confess our sins. Do you understand that? The issue is not justification but the cleansing from sin. Do you realize that? That is, the scene for us here today, it's not the picture of a, uh, of a courtroom where the final judgment is being rendered, but instead it's a, it's a family setting 
where a son or daughter is to confess his or her own sin, not to remain part of the family in terms of adoption because both justification and adoption are total and complete. You're either, you're either in Christ or you're out of it. You're either a son or daughter of God or you're not. You're either a saint or you an ain't. The, 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 issue, the, the issue today, beloved, if you are in Christ, is not an issue of forgiveness. It's an issue of confessing our sins, of acknowledging it, and being cleansed through it. You tracking? We confess our sins to God not to be forgiven. Why? Because in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven, aren't they? No. We confess our sins so that our intimacy with God is not compromised. Parents here who have children, when they sin, they don't cease to be your son or daughter, do they? No. But if they're living in sin that is unrepentant, the intimacy will be compromised until they confess their sin. When we pray, if we're in Christ, we don't need to be forgiven of anything. Amen? Why? Because everything is forgiven, right? In Christ. So, don't confuse justification and adoption, which are total and complete and do not vary in terms of intensity, and the confessing our sins. God has forgiven all of our sins in Christ. So as we examine our text here, we are going to examine a theology of prayer, a theology of prayer. And all of us, all of us, need to ask ourselves, is what I think about prayer biblical? Point number one, I want us to look at the petition of prayer, the petition of prayer. This is verses five through seven. So after teaching his disciples about this model of prayer, Jesus is going to illustrate it. And I love this. Say a picture is worth a thousand words, isn't it? Well, our Lord is the best storyteller. Jesus opens up here in verse five. He says, which one of you, pause right there. Whenever you read in scripture, which one of you what he's going to say is going to be absolutely absurd. The, 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 answer, the answer is so obvious. It's like, why are you even saying this? So when Jesus is saying, which one of you, everybody who's listening to this, including his disciples, will be, well, obvious. It, it's an obvious answer. Which one of you? So Jesus is going to say something that is blatantly evident and rhetorical. The story is intended to be absurd, but we're just going to go along with it. So in order to understand this story, we have to go back 2,000 years so we understand the context so we can move forward and make application to it. First, let's look at the unexpected friend, the reasonable request at an unreasonable hour, and the quadruple rejection. The setting here would be in a village where all the houses are near one another. If you've ever been to my house, this is what I'm envisioning. Real close, real packed to one another. And we learn here in verse 5 that a friend shows up unexpectedly at another friend's house at midnight. Now, we're not informed why. We don't know where this friend came from, how far he traveled, what the conditions surrounding his journeys were, all we know is that at midnight, this friend here, his, he rang his doorbell. He arrives at midnight. And as the story progresses, we learn that his friend is hungry. His friend is hungry. The context would be a community in which, all, in which everyone within a village or community would have all things in common. They would share everything with one another. 
And hospitality is culturally valued. It is essential at this time. And hospitality, in many ways, is considered a duty. And a visitor, especially a friend, it doesn't matter what time they arrive, they would be cared for. What does being cared for mean? It would mean that they were fed and they were provided lodging. This friend shows up at midnight, and the host here, he doesn't have any bread. Okay, and um, he's, he's, he's looking through the refrigerator and the freezer, and he, he doesn't have any. As a matter of fact, uh, bread was, was typically, it was, it was baked daily, and they really didn't add any kind of preservatives into the bread like we do today, and so bread would be spoiled within a day or two. So he's rummaging through his, his house. He doesn't have any. Why? Most likely because he already ate all the bread. His friend came, and he doesn't have any bread. Now, some of you see, is there anything special with the three loaves? The answer is no. The church fathers had a lot of fun with this number three. I'm sure you can figure out why, but there is nothing special about the number three. The number three, period. And so remember, there's no 24-hour sheets, right? There, there, there's, there's no Turkey Hill. I mean, Panera Bread closes at 9 p.m. And the demands of hospitality and friendship here necessitates this host to act. He has to find some bread. Why? Because his guest arrives, and this is cultural. It is hospitality. And so he goes to his next-door neighbor, and he calls him, look what he calls him. He says, friend, in verse 5. So this, this man in need whose friend just came to his house, he doesn't have any bread. He goes next door, and he makes a reasonable request at an unreasonable hour. And the request, beloved, was not for himself. Who was it for? It was for his guest, wasn't it? And so this supposed friend, in quotation, is awakened at midnight. He's in his bed. His cell phone alerts him that the ring door cam has sensed some movement. The front porch light goes on. That's motion censored. And... Uh, he looks at his phone and the, the camera on it, and guess who it is? It's fill in the blank. He, um, he wants bread at midnight. What is going on? Now, uh, keep in mind as well, there's no electricity. There's no white noise. I know several of you who have to sleep with white noise. There's no fan. There's none of that weird ocean music that some of you sleep with. <laughs> Remember, it's, it's all, it's quiet. And this is midnight. This is midnight. So think about it. No electricity. No white noise. And so whatever discussions were going on, however long this neighbor was uh, uh, trying to get his attention, um, this needs to be resolved quickly, friend. You realize that. Why? Because the, 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 this, this, this grouchy and grumpy sleeping neighbor... He doesn't want others to hear about what's going on. So he has to act quickly so others don't hear it. So this man in need knows that if he keeps asking, the neighbor will, well, he'll give in like, like a stack of books on wet cardboard. So what's he going to do? Point number two, I want us to look at the provision of prayer this is from verses 8 through 12. So there are, uh, Jesus gives us the reason why the grouchy neighbor will grant this man's request. And there's actually two reasons why. The first reason is explicit and the other is implicit. The explicit reason is in verse 6. Jesus says, I'm sorry, in verse 8, I tell you, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence. Greek word here in verses 8 through 12 um, informs us that, that this 
this man in need, he doesn't, he doesn't stop. Do you, do, you, do you see that? He keeps asking. Now, there is a quadruple refusal here in verse 7. So the picture, at midnight, they receive, uh, this man receives a, a knock. And there's a quadruple refusal. The first is this, please. Look at it in verse 7. First, do not bother me. Second, the door is shut. Third, the children are asleep. And fourth, I can't get up. Do you see that? Do you you see the quadruple refusal? Now, at this time... um, Children typically didn't have their own rooms. They all slept in the same room. They all slept on mats. And so bottom line is that the excuse that this man gives, it's ridiculous. It's just an excuse. Why? Because if he gets up, he can what? Go back to bed. If he unlocks the door, guess what? He can what? Lock it again. If his children get up, he can put the children, what? Back to sleep. These are just excuses. And so, this man knows in verse 8 that his neighbor's not going to stop. This word impudence, depending on your translation, can be persistence, shameless audacity, importunity, shameless persistence, persistence, or impudence. To be impudent is to be shamelessly presumptuous. This is a man or woman who acts without any shame of disgrace. So the first reason why this grouchy or grumpy neighbor is going to answer the door and give this man in need what he wants is because this man in need is being shamelessly audacious. But the second reason why is to avoid shame. This grumpy neighbor is not getting up because he loves the man. Why? Because in the cultural context of hospitality, he's going to get up. Why? Because there will be shame and dishonor in his name if he doesn't. So this grouchy neighbor, as he's sitting in bed, is thinking to himself, this guy's like a mosquito. He's like a gnat. He just won't go away. He's relentless. there's, There's no shame in his game. Now, we know people like this. You may be someone like this. Many of us have been like this, incessant, nonstop. You don't care about shame if you do the right thing, do you? It doesn't matter about what other people think if you do the right thing. This is someone who doesn't care what neighbors think, what anyone else thinks. It reminds me a lot of what happened to me during covid Precious, there were several of them, but there's one particular example when one of the precious saints here was in the hospital. I went to visit this saint, and, well, they were at full capacity, basically one person per room. I went up to the receptionist, and I said, I need to, I'm the pastor of so-and-so, I'd like to see so-and-so. And she said, sorry, we, 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 can't, we, we, we can't do that. No visitors. I said, you, you, don't, you don't understand, I'm, I'm, going, I'm, I'm going to see this person. Okay, hold on, let me, let me call my... Pick up the phone. And I was just standing there. And I waited right there. And I was not taking no for an answer. And she said, okay, go see so-and-so. Now, I didn't care who else was in the waiting room. You you understand that? Mm -hmm. There were other people who were in the waiting room who may have done the exact same thing that I did. Others were waiting to see, like me, loved ones. The difference between me and them is that I wasn't taking no for an answer. I was audacious. 
You can call me whatever you want, and I wouldn't be surprised if some in the waiting room, if they spoke what they really thought, would probably try to shame me for being so rude and insensitive to them. But guess what? I got to see the person who I wanted to see, and they didn't. Some could shame me, but that's fine. I will gladly be shamed for that. Some of you have done this with loved ones, haven't you? Children, spouses, family members, friends, you you need something, don't you? You need something. You need to do something. And what do you do? You email. You call. You text. You call again. Every single day perhaps multiple times a day. You don't stop. You keep doing it, and you continue until what? Until the task is accomplished. Impudence, persistence, shameless. This is a reasonable request at an unreasonable hour. So social convention and love should motivate this guy to get out of the bed. The neighbor wants the bread, he's getting it. And the grouchy neighbor knows, keep in mind, that if he doesn't get up, and doesn't get up quickly, then this man in need is going to maybe get a little louder. Keep in mind, there's no white noise, and others are going to hear it, aren't they? And perhaps this man in need might go next door to someone else. And you know what's going to happen the next day? This man is going to dishonor his name, dishonor his family name, and it can even compromise the integrity of his business if he had it. It's, again, this, this social convention, it's different than today, especially because in, during this time, the social convention was that everybody held all things in common. So what is going to happen? Ultimately, the grouchy and grumpy neighbor will get up and will meet the need, not because he loves the man, but because the man is shamelessly audacious. What's the point? Your father, if you're in Christ, is not grouchy. Do you see it? God does not have to be awakened. Why? Because he never sleeps or slumbers. God is not cajoled into into giving us what we ask for. He gives gifts to the ungodly, and he gives gifts to the righteous, doesn't he? He opens up his hands, and he satisfies the desires of all living things. He loves to help people in need. Now, you'll notice here in verse 9, Jesus says, Ask, it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Do you see that? So Jesus here uses an ascending in, um, intention and intensity of prayer and petition. Ask, requesting, seek would be asking in action, and knocking would be acting plus perseverance. Now, I'm going to give you the answer right now ahead, and I'm going to show you why. Asking, seeking, and knocking are all synonymous terms. They're all synonymous terms. Our family, for the first time, had visited Great Wolf Lodge. Some of you have been there before. Before going, uh, I thought it was a zoo. Um, with all the little kids running around, it almost looks like one. But um, it's, it's basically an indoor water park. And uh, our family had visited there for the first time. And you check in, you go to your room, and... This water park is huge. Apparently, they've expanded it. But as, as soon as you walk in, as soon as you walk into the water park, um, my, my feet got wet. I mean, obviously, I'm at a water park. But the, the, the point is that as, 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 soon as, I, as soon as I walked in, my feet got wet, and I, and I looked up above me. And right when you walk in to, to the right, there's this massive bucket. This thing is huge. I mean, it, it must hold hundreds and hundreds of gallons. And, and, and what it is is there's a, there, there's a faucet that, that's over it, 
and this, this bucket, it, it, it's, on a, it's on like a hinge or a swivel, and it's tilted a little bit. So obviously the drops and the water comes into the bucket, and then when it's full, the, 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 the bucket, it, it leans forward, and all the, the contents of, of the water come out. I mean, there, there's, there's so much water that, that water gets wet. <laughs> think about that one. But let's think about this. Do you think of prayer like the water bucket at Great Wolf Lodge? We think that if we pray enough for the thing, every prayer is like a, like a drop. And if the prayer bucket gets filled enough, you know what God will do? He'll pour out His blessings upon us. Do you think that way? Now, this text has been grossly misunderstood. Maybe you've heard it this way. Some would say, asking, you know, asking is just like, you just want it nonchalant. I mean, it's not really a big deal. But seeking, no, no, now, now you want it. More than the asking. But now you just want it a little bit more. But knocking, wow, watch out. You're about to move mountains. You know, knocking on God's door like he didn't hear you the first time. Or like he's sleeping. Sometimes people teach this text and say, look, if, if, you, if you really don't want God to respond favorably, you're just asking. But if you want it more, you got to seek. And if you really want it, I mean, when you get to the next level, it's what is called knocking. Is that what the text is teaching? Let me ask you, how much is enough? How much is enough? How many people praying are needed for God to answer you favorably? Do prayer marches cajole God into answering more? than he otherwise would if you just went to your room and prayed? Some say, well, you know, you just need to have more faith. You just, you just need to believe a little more. The believing would be synonymous with knocking. You, you, don't, you don't believe enough. We just need everybody praying for this thing because if everybody prays for this thing, then you know what? It's like more water in the water bucket. You see? What is the mark of sincerity? Tell me. What, 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 what's the... Um, what, what's, the uh, what's the threshold to move from asking to seeking, and to knocking. What is it? Now look, we can exchange anecdotal stories until literally the return of Christ, of how God has favorably answered your prayer requests and given you exactly what you asked for. But we can also talk until the return of Christ in anecdotal stories about how God didn't give you what you asked for, but gave you something completely different that you didn't ask for, and you're even more thankful. Or we can even exchange anecdotal stories about how you have asked for this thing, whatever it is, and God has not answered favorably. Years, decades. And there's been persistence, there has been intensity, and there has been frequency. There's been fasting. People in your life, they know what you want. There have been tears. You've been weeping over it. You've been examining your life and, and asking yourself, is there sin in me? Is this, is, is, this, is, this, is this discipline? Only to find out there's not. And to, tell, and to tell that person that what they need to do is they need to move from asking to seeking and then from seeking to knocking, do you know what that is? 
It is harsh and unbiblical. This illustration does not teach that if we ask enough or we pray often, which is the frequency, or if we want it just badly enough, which is the intensity, or if we pray over it over an extended amount of time, which is the persistency, we will cajole God into answering that at some point we reach the threshold where God just pours out his favorable blessing. Do you see that? Do you see that? You need to beware of what's called water bucket theology. If you've never heard of it, that's okay, because I just made it up this week. (laughs) Water bucket theology. Those of you who go to Great Wolf Lodge, you are permanently marred. In a good way, because every time you're going to look at that that massive bucket, you're going to think, my prayers, thank God, are not like that. But water bucket theology argues that intensity, persistence, and frequency in prayer will move God to shower blessings upon you. God doesn't have thresholds. Jesus is not making distinctions between asking, seeking, and knocking. God already knows, doesn't he? Prayer is not getting God to do what we want, and it's not persuading him to do something he doesn't want. In many ways, prayer is an audacious request and and bold desire before God to do what he has promised. But listen very closely. Prayer is not so much as us changing God, but God changing us. What you pray for in the intensity, the persistency, and frequency, listen, is the bread that you value. That is the bread that you value. It's the thing you want most. Yes, let God know your needs. Be bold and persistent. But don't think for a second that if you just pray enough, whatever enough means, with however much intensity, whatever intensity means, if you just want it enough and you do it enough and an enough amount of people do it enough, that God will finally give you what you look for. Friend, that is very dangerous. Very dangerous. Why? Because it can easily become a works-oriented system. Now, just so you don't misunderstand me, prayer is essential, listen, for you and for me. It is said that even the strongest engines need to be refueled. Prayer is an exchange. You know that. That's what prayer is. We give God our burdens, our desires, our longings, our heartaches, and you know what we do? We leave in a banner of praise. Prayer is called the declaration of dependence for many reasons. Prayer is the best friend of Bible study. Prayer, the Puritans call prayer the midwife to mercy. Prayer brings forth mercy. Prayer is an attitude that submits to the will of God, and it is one mechanism of grace in which God uses prayer for your will to be bent to His. Do you see? The Puritans call prayer the purifying bath that washes away our impurities. Did you know that um, prayer, do you know what prayer is? Prayer is an appeal that is birthed from homesickness. You see it? I wonder if Adam ever prayed. I wonder if saints in glory with glorified body will be praying. I know that there are prayer of the saints. Prayer, friend, results from homesickness. You know that? 
It is from the saint who wants to be in glory and who can't wait to be there, but longs for help and mercy during the time of need. I want you to ask yourself something as well. Do you know why you make prayer requests, especially during ABF? You know why you text your friends, you call your friends, you email your friends? I don't know anyone who emails these days about prayer requests, but you, you, text, you text your friends. Hey, please, please, please pray. What are you doing? Do you believe that, that if you have one more person praying for you, that God will answer? God does respond to prayer. He does answer prayer. But I'm going to tell you why most of you do it. It's because you want them to bear your burdens. That's why. And I'm going to tell you how I know that. A text is sent out. Something is announced during ABF. And I'm all for this. That is heavy on you. And you want them praying for you. But what happens when that saint texts you or asks you or checks up on you? Hey, how are you? How is so-and-so? You know what it is? It is a tremendous encouragement to you. It isn't just the prayer request for the sake of the prayer request. In many ways, allowing prayers and, and concerns to be made known It is a cry and call for brothers and sisters to come up and to help you bear this heavy burden. Do you see that? And this is why when there's follow-through from brothers and sisters, you are so encouraged. Do you see it? That's why that person or those people who check up on you, you leave saying, you encourage me. You remembered. You, You remembered it. You see? Prayer must not be viewed as a work that cajoles God. A heavy heart before God, he understands that. You realize that? He understands the heavy heart. Don't make this a word, faith, numerical, Um, abstract prayer that if the most amount of people pray and if you really want it really badly, then God is more opt to give it to you. Beware of that. Beware of that, beloved. Don't, don't, friend, do not think to yourself, "If, if 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 I can move from asking to seeking, what is that? If they're different. Or from seeking to knocking, what is that? That somehow I need to knock on the chambers of God's room. He doesn't need to be reminded of anything. Why? Because he knows everything. Prayer is, pr- prayer is for us. Do you realize that? It is for us. Prayer has efficacy, listen, not in the intensity, persistency, or frequency, but in how God chooses to hollow his name. Please look at verse two. He said to them, Father, hallowed be your name. Do you see that? Hallowed be your name. That's what God will do. He will magnify his name. What else will he do? He will further his agenda through you. God promises to give you what you need, when you need it, and how you need it. Do you see that? God promises to forgive us or cleanse us from our sins. He promises to sanctify us as we forgive others. God is merciful to the contrite of heart. And he gives wisdom to those who ask. So why pray? Prayer is not a grocery list for things we want God to do for us. God uses prayer to shape, mold, and fashion and align, listen, our wills to his. How do you know? Because when your will isn't done, how do you respond? 
Now, God can respond in three ways. Yes, immediately, no, wait, or no, indefinitely. And obviously, everybody likes the yes. And the no, we don't know if it's just temporarily or indefinitely, so we just have to wait. But in the waiting room, listen, the waiting room is oftentimes the midwife to mercy. And God oftentimes has grown you the most as you wait, as your will is bent to his. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. Sometimes we're, we're, we're so burdened. Our hearts are so heavy. We, we're, we're, just, we're just sitting down and it's just a, it's, it's just a breath. You just breathe. You don't even say anything. It's heavy. And he knows that. And he knows that. He knows your heaviness. God is not concerned, listen, merely with the final product of prayer. He's concerned with the process. That's the point. Now, Jesus here in our text, he mentions a scorpion and a snake. He mentions this in verse 11. He says, What father among you, if the son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Do you see that? So what's with this snake and what's with this fish? Well, a snake and a scorpion are malicious, aren't they? But from far away, did you know that a, uh, a rolled-up snake can look like a, it can look like a fish from far away. And a scorpion rolled up can look like an egg. Not all eggs are white. So from far away, from far away, a snake may look like this, or a scorpion may look like this. But it isn't until we get, we get closer until God draws us close to himself, that we see that all of God's dealings are good for us. Some fathers here, some of you have had fathers who are incredibly cruel. But most of them love their children. Sometimes fathers, fathers fail to love their children the way that they want to. And, it is, and oftentimes it, it, it's not... It's not our intention. It's oftentimes the execution. We love our children, but look at what Jesus holds to. Jesus holds to the doctrine of original sin. Look what he says in verse 13. If you then who are what? If you then what are what? Evil. Do you see that? Jesus holds the doctrine of radical depravity, friend. So if a father who loves his child still does evil, do you, do you see the contrast? How much more will your heavenly father give gifts? My child asks for a fish, I'll take him fishing. He wants to eat fish, I'll bake some salmon, maybe fry up some flounder. If he wants an egg, I'll ask him how he wants it. You want it scrambled? Do you even know what sunny side up is? Well, you can try that if you want. The point, all fathers have wickedness in them, but they love their children. And there's a difference between their intention and the execution of that love. Fathers have to repent. The heavenly father doesn't. Your heavenly Father, if you're in Christ, friend, is not inconvenienced by you. He will not play games with you. God will always be good to you. Why? Because he will never double-cross his own name. God is concerned, listen, with his reputation in and through you. He will take care of you, and he will provide all that you need when you need it. The point is this. God is not like this grouchy neighbor. That's the point. He knows what you need before you ask. Pray then. Praying then is not a cajoling of God to do what, for him to do what you want 
but him bending your will so you do what he wants. That's the point. Point number three, the promise of prayer. Now, as Jesus always done, I mean, Jesus just hits a grand slam out of the park. I mean, I didn't even see this thing coming. Look at what he says. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give you what you want? Where did this come from? I mean, this is like a, this is like a, like an eagle flying down out of nowhere and picking up a, a bunny or a rabbit or a snake or a scorpion. Just comes out of nowhere. I mean, where, 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 did, where did the Holy Spirit come from here, right? I mean, if, if, if you look at this prayer, the Holy Spirit, he is not mentioned anywhere. Do you see that? And all of the bread is, prim, is primarily physical, isn't it? So where does this come from? The Heavenly Father will give. Who will He give? The Holy Spirit. Theologians call the Holy Spirit the advantage. Because He is the advantage in you. God's greatest gift is Himself. The Father gives the Son. The Son gives Himself. And the Father and the Son give the Holy Spirit. The Spirit here, I've given you on your outline three meanings. Luke has a robust understanding of pneumatology, but the first is pre-Pentecost. The Spirit was with them during Jesus' ministry, but in the future, He will be what? In them. During the church age, believers do not have to ask, or or post-Pentecost is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the first century as the gospel spread. And lastly, in the church age today, Believers do not have to ask for his spirit. Friend, we do not ask him to be here to fill this place or to be here in our presence. Why? Because if you're in Christ, you possess him entirely. And while you may possess him, the Holy Spirit, not it, but him, the Holy Spirit is a person, as you possess him in his entirety, we may not always walk in his fullness. So how does the Holy Spirit operate today? Spirit's resources, his fullness can be accessed. He fills us, primarily that encompasses the fruits of the Spirit as we lay aside the works of the flesh and we, are clothed, we clothe ourselves by grace with his perfections. We pray and he gives us wisdom. God's promise for you this morning is that he will advance his kingdom in and through you. Now let's have some more fun here. I want you to pay attention to the verbs. Ask, seek, knock, and give. There's 17 of them. There's more verbs in that, but I'm going to point them out to you. Verse, five, uh, verse 6, say. Do you see it? Verse, verse 5, say. Verse 6, answer. Look at the end of verse 8. He will give, beginning of verse 9. I tell you, ask, it will be given. Seek, knock, opened, everyone. Asks, seeks, knocks, asks, give, asks, give, 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 give. Holy Spirit, ask, do you see? What is Jesus promising? He's promising his disciples that he's going to give himself. Do you see it? And just when we think prayer is about ourselves, God reminds us, it's about me. I will give, my, he's speaking to his disciples, I will give the Holy Spirit to you, speaking to his disciples. And that translates to today, where the Spirit has given himself, where he dwells inside of all of those in Christ. Isn't that amazing? You are living, we are living in the age where this has become a reality. So who is the young boy sprinting toward the emperor? One of the legionnaires wound up picking up the young boy before he reached the emperor and before they actually removed their swords from the scabbard. The legionnaire screamed at the young lad, what do you think you're doing, boy? 
You can't be sprinting toward the emperor. You know who that man is. The young lad smiled and said, he may be your emperor, but he is my father. He's my father. May his kingdom be advanced through you. May you trust him all of your days. May you persevere in prayer. This text is really the theology of prayer and the gift and promise of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you if you're in Christ, animating you with life and power and vigor. To empower you, we are to live for him as a conduit, for the furtherance of his kingdom, for your good, for the reputation of his name, and for the blessing toward others. May God's kingdom be advanced through you as you look to him for everything needful. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can look at this prayer knowing that you know our needs, that we can come to you with anything and everything, knowing that you hear us, you care for us, and knowing that, um, knowing that you will respond favorably regardless of whether our requests are granted thankful for Christ. We're thankful for his work on the cross. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit, he dwells in us, animates us, empowers us to be able to pray according to your will and give us perseverance as well in prayer for us to be persistent without presumptuous. In our prayers, may Christ be magnified in all things. May your kingdom be advanced in Jesus' name. Amen.